0: This is HPR episode 1870 entitled "19 Home SSH Server" and is part of the series "Privacy and Security." It is hosted by Ahuka, and is about 19 minutes long. The summary is: To learn SSH, it helps to experiment. So this explains setting up a simple home server.
1: This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15 that's H P R 1 5 better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com
0: This is Ahuka welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode in our Security and Privacy series, and we started a mini-series on SSH um, that is going to last for a number of episodes, because there's a whole lot to talk about. Now, SSH is an interesting and complicated thing to take a look at. And one of the things that I think is important is that you get a little practice with this stuff and understand the technology. Uh, And so what I want to do now is talk about setting up a home server so that you can do this kind of practicing uh, behind a firewall where ideally you won't have too much of an issue of uh, security. Uh, Now, Once you get out on the the open internet, uh, it helps if you understand how all of this stuff works. Uh, But to do that requires, I think, a a little bit of practice. And so while the focus of this series is really not going to be primarily on server administration, um, that's a different thing entirely and not really something that I'm uh, qualified to get into to any great depth, Uh, But I think if you understand what is going on on the server and how you interact with it, then it's going to make it easier for you to use SSH in a secure manner. So uh, I do want to just talk a little bit about setting up uh, a server at home. Um, Now, I think these days it is more common that people own more than one computer. And when we say server, really all we mean is a computer different from the one that you're currently sitting in front of. And that, that computer could be across the room or upstairs or down the hall um, or on the other side of the world. I mean, it really depends. But if we're talking about a home server, then it it's probably one pretty local to you. And if you've got a second computer, this is really simple to, uh, to get going on. Um, if you don't... Uh, something like a Raspberry Pi, you know, it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Um, You know, I think that's, it's something like $35. You can get a very nice Raspberry Pi and uh, set that up to be your server. And, uh, and then you can practice all of this stuff. So I really do encourage you to do that. Um, And I think certainly for most Linux users, at least uh, installing and setting up a server is really simple. You can do it in minutes. Now, Most Linux distros use OpenSSH for this purpose. Um, In our introductory tutorial, we talked about it. Um, I pointed you to the manual at OpenSSH.com as a good resource, but I'll put that link again in the show notes uh, for this particular tutorial. So with that in mind, let's get started. Well, first, you need to install a package. If you are on Ubuntu, the package is called openssh-server, and you would uh, use your usual apt tools uh, to do that, Uh, however you like to do that. I happen to be a Synaptic user. Um, If you're on Fedora, the package has exactly the same name, SSH server but you would use Fedora's Tools, Yum, or whatever the new one is that they've just introduced. Uh, I'm not a Fedora user myself, so I'm not really an expert on that, but uh, you should be able to get that information pretty easily. If you're on SUSE, uh, the documentation that I've looked at says that they install SSH-Server as a matter of course uh, as part of the normal install, so it's probably already there. Uh, Windows. Now, this gets a little bit different. At present, OpenSSH is not a Windows program. Um, If if you have to get going right away, you might want to look at PowerShell server as a possible replacement. Um, There is an article on uh, Microsoft TechNet that can get you started. Um, But this will eventually change since Microsoft, in June of 2015 announced that they would support and contribute to the OpenSSH community. Uh, That is, I think, very welcome news, and it means that we should soon have OpenSSH on all of the major platforms. Now, there is a way to run OpenSSH with SigWin. Uh, To me, that introduces maybe one too many variables, Um, And I prefer to work with something native to the environment when I can. Um, So if you're not in a desperate hurry, uh, you might want to wait a little bit until OpenSSH is a native Windows program. Um, What about Macintosh? Okay, well, Macintosh at its heart, uh, OS X, is BSD. Uh, And that's the native home for OpenSSH. OpenSSH as a project is maintained by the BSD community. So you should have it already installed, really. And Raspberry Pi. Now, if you want to go that route, um, and I think for a lot of people that's an excellent solution, uh, the Raspberry Pi documentation says that SSH server is enabled by default for command line only. Now. Really, for what we're talking about, command line is all we're going to be doing. Um, So that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, You know, a little bit later on, you know, we can talk about uh, basically uh, X11 forwarding, which is to take... The remote desktop and display that desktop on your screen uh, and if you get to doing wanting to do something like that with a Raspberry Pi uh, you would have to install a program called VNC um, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about that right now uh, if you want more information consult the Raspberry Pi documentation uh, so Great option for people who want to experiment but don't happen to have a second computer. For 35 bucks, you can have a second computer, essentially. Now, accounts. When you log on to a remote system using SSH, you are logging on to an account that you already have on that system. You log on with your username and password for that system. And when you log on, your working directory is your home directory on that system. Now, you can see this by running the ls command when you log in. You will get a listing of the files and directories within your home directory. So, obviously, your first order of business is to confirm that you have an account on the server before you attempt to log in, and that you know the password for that account. Then, configuring your server... All right. And so I'm I'm talking to people with a home server now. So we're not talking about a corporate uh, sysadmin kind of thing, which involves so many more security considerations that uh, it is well beyond what I can deal with in this little tutorial. Uh, so I happen to uh, run uh, a Linux distribution called Kubuntu, which is Ubuntu with a KDE desktop. I happen to like it. And that's what I run on my home network. If you use a different system, please consult their documentation for particular details if you happen to encounter any differences. Most things are the same. There could be small details that are different. So, first thing. There's a config file, and it is in the directory slash etc slash ssh. And the name of the file is sshd underscore config, C-O-N-F-I-G. Now, be careful you get the correct file. There is a config file for the client, which is called ssh underscore config. Note, there is no D there. You don't want that. sshd refers to the ssh daemon, which listens to the port and handles login requests. This file comes with a standard configuration out of the box. You might want to take a look and see what is in there first. I noticed there are a lot of options. Some things are commented out. To change them, you need to use a text editor and remove the comment as well as change the value. But it might be wise first to create a backup of the file as it is before editing it. That way you can always return easily to a known good state. Now, what I like to do is save a copy with the date I saved it. And I use the ISO 8601 standard for that purpose, since it's the only reasonable way to write dates, and avoids the ambiguity that comes with the U.S. versus European issue of whether the month or the day comes first. I run into that at my job. Uh, I work for a Ford Credit, and it's an international... We've got... Uh, people in European countries, Asian countries, the United States, and I start opening up project files, and I'm looking at dates, and, and, you know, is that June 9th or September 6th? I'm never entirely sure. Um, So that's why you want something that's unambiguous. Now, the ISO 8601 standard says you do it year, then month, then day. Now, you can do that as just eight digits in a row, so the year is a four digits, then two digits for the month, and two digits for the day. Or, equally allowable, is to break it up with dashes. So four digits for the year, dash, two digits for the month, dash, two digits for the day. Uh, the day is always a two-digit number, as is the month. So if it's uh, January, the month is zero 01, and if it's the third of the month, it's, the day is zero 03. Now, if you do this, your file names will always line up in proper chronological order, and everything will make sense, and it will be totally unambiguous. So I date all of my files this way. So what I'm saying is create a backup, uh, and I like to date it so I can always go back and see. And maybe, you know, over time, if I make additional changes, I might end up with four or five different uh, versions of that file, you know, it's just a little text file. Not going to take up that much room. Uh, so I, I created a backup, sshd underscore config underscore, and then my eight-digit date. Then I edit my sshd config file using a text editor, and in the operating system that I'm in, uh, I like to use KATE, which is the KDE text editor. Um But, in any event, use whichever one you like, um, or, you know, even use Emacs if you really have no alternative. That's just a little joke for the Emacs people. So, uh, password authentication. This is one of the things. Uh, Now, default setting says that anyone with a password and an account can log in. That's very convenient. But, unfortunately, it's also convenient for someone trying to hack into your system. Within a home network, that might not mean as much at first, particularly if you have a good firewall and never let your SSH port be exposed to the outside. But eventually, you will probably want to enable connections from outside so you can access your systems from some other access point. And that's when password authentications will put you into danger. Um, So imagine a scenario where you've started to master the use of SSH and you know you can log into a system and you've configured your firewall to let traffic go through. And so you're sitting at a coffee shop and decide, oh, I'm going to log into my home system. Well, you're transmitting a password in the clear. (laughs) You should think about that a little bit. Uh, That's the first thing. second thing is, you know How do you know that someone isn't intercepting uh, your login attempt? Now, there are things you can do, but uh, you, you need to be pretty careful about this. So, basically the way that uh, most people advise for security is to do it with key pairs. Uh, and we will discuss over the next few tutorials exactly how you do that. Um, but... Uh, that basically uses the same technology that we've talked about um, when we talked about mail and then uh, SSL certs You know, it's, it's basically the same technology uh, applied over and over so what you can do once we you get everything set up is you can come back to your SSHD config file and remove the ability to log in with a password and that will give you a little more security it will mean you will have to have Uh, your key in order to log in. Um, So if you have a laptop that you frequently would do this with, uh, you know, you could store it on your laptop, or, you know, maybe you have something like a YubiKey that you want to put it on, however you want to do it. Now, another thing, changing the port. Okay. Uh, That's an option that uh, you might want to take a look at. It won't Necessarily stop everything, but there are scanners looking for open SSH ports to crack, and moving your port is a simple measure to slow that kind of thing down. Um, so, if you look, there's uh, some lines, and it starts with a, a, a comment uh, tag that says, What ports, IPs, and protocols we listen for, and right under that, it'll say port 22. Well, you can change that to a different port. So put in some random five-digit number, and you know you can go up to 65,000 on this. Um, and then save the file, and um, now you'll need to reconfigure your clients to log in on that port number. Uh, another option, log more information. If you're setting up an SSH server, you probably want information on any logins, and in particular any failed logins, because uh, that is an indication that someone may be trying to uh, get onto your server that isn't supposed to be. Now, the log that records everything is in slash var slash log slash A-U-T-H dash log, which is a text file you can open in any text editor. Now, the default level of information is info, I-N-F-O. Now, the OpenSSH manual has something to say about this. Uh, log level is the, uh, is the setting, gives the verbosity level that is used when logging messages from SSHD. The possible values are quiet, fatal, error, info, verbose, debug, debug1, debug2, debug3. Uh, the default is info. Um, and goes on and says logging in with debug level violates the privacy of users and is not recommended. Uh, so, what I would recommend you do is change it from info to verbose. All right? and that will record a little more information, particularly those failed login attempts. Um, so, look for the three lines that read uh, comment-tagged logging. The Syslog facility is set to AUTH. Log level is set to INFO. That's what you want to change. So change it to log level, V-E-R-B-O-S-E. So a good reason for adding this option is that the Vermose mode, as I say, will log the, uh, the failed login attempts, and that's the sort of thing you should be paying attention to. Now, failed attempts could be simply fat fingering the password, in which case you should know you did it and can ignore it. But if you see multiple failed login attempts, it may mean someone is trying to guess passwords to get on your system. Now, once you have made whatever edits you want to do, uh, you save your file, and then you need to restart your server to use the new settings. And that's just sudo, space, restart, space, ssh. Now... This little thing is not anywhere near a complete look at server setup and configuration. It's not going to qualify you to be an expert super sysadmin. Uh, it's just intended to let you set up a home server to experiment with behind a good firewall. Uh, I think it's difficult to understand SSH without something to experiment with. And setting up a server can give you a testbed to see how these commands on the client side work. And now that you have a server set up, we can experiment with the login process, which is our next tutorial. So, this is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio, signing off and reminding you, as always, to support free software. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at HackerPublicRadio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show...